Oh, I'll forgive you. I'll forgive you. You know what's great about the whole transition thing is that it is done on, um, on a family, a spiritual family relationship, and this is why it's going to work. It's because we have spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. Uh, the language is going to change. The, we'll probably paint the building a different color, whatever. But I would be a fool not to continue to tap into the wisdom of, of pastor and my parents. Uh, so it's an incredible resource. It's an incredible encouragement. It has extraordinary, a huge amount to offer, uh, both the church and myself. So it's an exciting thing. It's going gonna, it's gonna to work. It's going to be an awesome season in our church. So hang on, hang on. Um, okay. This week, uh, I spoke at the college church at, at Chafee High School, Chafee College, that is. And uh, I asked them, um, I'm going to be speaking there for the next three weeks on uh, a Thursday campus or their Thursday meeting. Um, if you know any students that go to Chafee College, send them to, to the meeting at 2 o'clock on, uh, on Thursdays. It's going to be a great night, a great day. Uh, anyway, um, so I asked the students, I said, I'm going to be speaking the next three weeks. And, you know, I... I I did a little spiel or a little talk, and but what I'm really interested in is what do you need, what do you need to be equipped from me? What would you like to hear? What would you like for me to teach on or preach on? And and in my, you know, I was thinking, okay, they're gonna want to hear about, you know, well, what about relationships? What about human sexuality? You know, what about all these? Those are the things that I was I was expecting them to go after some very topical issues. And overwhelmingly, what they said is, how do I know what God's will is for my life? How do I know that, that I'm going in the right direction? How do, how do I really hear God's voice? And how do I know it's God's voice and not, like, the voices in my head or something like that? And so it was really encouraging. And so I was like, wow, that's kind of what we're talking about at Granite Creek right now. When I was in college... Actually, even before I went to college, I, here's, a, here's a confession. I was actually called into ministry around junior high. And all through junior high and high school, uh, I had this really canny ability to hear God's voice. I, I, I just didn't really have a problem hearing God's voice or his leading or um, being able to discern well. And so I was, it was just, it was comfortable. And then I went to college and I moved out from underneath of his covering and then it just crickets. Like I couldn't hear a thing from God. And I remember being on the beach in Santa Barbara, just pouring my heart out to God. God, why can't I hear your voice anymore? It's like it used to go from very clear, almost even audible voices in my head about what God was telling me to nothing. And... I was like, okay, God, you don't want to talk to me? I don't want to talk to you. And so that was kind of my attitude. And what, what God was teaching me in that season in my life was, look, son, I can communicate to you in different ways. And this is where you're at right now, and this is what you need to learn. And God speaks to us, you know, through, through prayer. He, he speaks to us through the scriptures. He speaks to us um, with each other. That was a lesson that I needed to learn in that season, that there were people that God was putting in my life that I wouldn't naturally choose, but they were speaking directly into my life. 
God gave them a word for me, and I needed to learn how to hear God's voice inside of community. That's what he was teaching me in that season. But in, in the series that we're in right now, I'm going to stretch you, I'm going to challenge you, I'm going to encourage you that you can actually hear from God in the night seasons, in actual dreams. Now, this series that we're going over right now, uh, there's kind of a, it's kind of a two-pronged approach. Like, there's like the overarching, you know, what's the dream of my life? You know, those that don't have a dream perish. So, dreams are so important, you know, to have a vision for your life and, and, and for your future, to recapture dreams that you had, that you've lost. Mako did an incredible message on, you know, canceled dreams. Is your dream really dead? How do you resurrect God's dream for your life? So that's one approach that we could have been looking at. But I'm interested in God actually communicating to us in the nightlife, in dream, in, in actual dreams. And so I did, a, I did a study on biblical dreams, and I've also did a little bit of research. Before I did the research and people that are experts in biblical dream interpretation, I studied the scriptures for myself to see what the Bible had to say about dream interpretation. And then there's a lot of other material out there. There's other ministers, there's other ministries that focus on dream interpretation. And what I learned from the Bible is that whenever God is communicating to a believer in a dream, it is clear. Like there is no question to what's going on. They, they are not confused. People that are walking with the Lord, whenever they get a, a dream in their mind, they wake up, they know exactly what they're supposed to do. They don't, they don't consult some chart, or they don't try to figure out what the color means, or they don't try to figure out what the symbolism of the animal means. They don't try and figure out, uh, you know, all these different things. God's desire for us is for him to speak clearly and directly to us. He'll do it via the Holy Spirit. He'll do it in the scriptures. He can do it in dreams. And so the way, that I, the way that I'm approaching God speaking to us in the night is that it's clear. If I wake up confused about the dream that I had, if I'm not quite sure what it is, well, then I have to actually question the dream. If it's so abstract and so weird that it doesn't make sense, it's probably not from God. And that's what we're going to be looking at. And so uh, the interesting thing and the encouraging thing about the Bible is there are times... Uh, throughout the whole scripture, where God is communicating to his people, and he's also communicating to people that are not his people in dreams. There's basically five things that I discovered that God tries to communicate. One, and I talked about this on the couple of weeks that I spoke, uh, one of the things that he does is he tries to, he doesn't try, he uses dreams to uh, give us that big vision for what we're to do in life. He did it with Jacob and Jacob's ladder. You know, at, at Bethel, he, he gave Jacob a dream for the future, a literal dream for the future with the angels ascending and descending on a ladder. And he says, look, your, your offspring are going to number the dust of the earth and the, scar, the stars in the universe. This is how important you are. So he gets in his dream life, he gets this incredible powerful dream and purpose for his life. And that is what he attaches himself to. He wakes up and he, his life has changed. Eventually changes his name from Jacob, the, you know, the, the stealer little mama's boy, to, J to Israel, the, God's people. He changes. The dream transforms him. 
The other really cool thing that biblical dreams have done was in the case of Solomon, where Solomon was, was not a good guy. He disinherited a kingdom, but he was a bad guy. He killed his brother. He killed a priest. He married a foreign queen, a pagan queen. He was not doing things well. He was positioning himself for power. But somewhere along the line, he had a conversation with his father, David, and, and his dad says, look, son, above everything else, you need to get wisdom. So he remembered that lesson from his father. And in the dream, God asks uh, Solomon, what do you want? Solomon says, I want wisdom. And here's the incredible thing about this dream. This dream actually empowered him. He woke up smarter than he was when he went to sleep. Isn't, wouldn't that be an amazing thing? Where a dream actually empowers you? It physically changes you? It can change the synapses in your brain? It can change your personality, your character? Completely transformation? If we ask the right question, give me wisdom. He didn't ask for power. He didn't ask for fame. He didn't ask to, to defeat his enemies. He asked for wisdom. So there's the, there's the empowerment of, that a dream can have. There's also the autocorrect. There's the, there's the dreams that come in and says, look, son, you're out of line. You need to straighten this up in your life. Look, you need, this needs to be confessed. So we see that. And what I want to talk about today are the dreams of perfect, uh, uh, protection. God will give us a dream to protect us. He'll communicate to you. He'll, he'll give you a scripture to protect you. He will, he will uh, give you a word from your, your friends and your family to protect you. But he, he is desperate to communicate with you. We often think that God is silent, but what he's really doing, he is screaming at us. He is trying to get our attention, and he will do it in a dream. And this is what we see. We see, uh, well, again, the first dream in the Bible was actually given to a non-believer. The last dream in the Bible was given to another non-believer. But in the middle, we see God communicating to believers, and he gives them specific warnings. Uh, uh, Joseph gets specific warnings about, about his country. He actually saves two nations, two entire people groups from famine, from a dream, because God came in and he warned them. Uh, Joseph, uh, Mary's husband, he got four dreams. One dream was like, yeah, yeah, she's, she's telling you the truth. She really is conceived by the Holy Spirit. It's true. Just get over it. Just come on. Just man up. He, got, he gets two other dreams that say, look, you, Joseph, you need, to get, you need to get Mary and Jesus out of here because this is a dangerous environment. Did he wake up and say, oh, gosh, what does this symbolism mean? And what about this blue color? And... I need to be able to interpret the animal that, no, he knew, God spoke to Joseph directly. He says, get up and go. This is dangerous. And it happened again where, where Joseph was in a bad situation. Where he actually came back in and God spoke to Joseph in a dream. says, look, it's still not right. This is still dangerous. Wait, be patient. Listen to me. And he does. Okay. So this is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about dreams that save. Dreams that save. Um, if you've got your Bibles, turn to with me to Daniel chapter 2. And Daniel listened to God's dream, and it saved his life. He had the ability to interpret a dream, and his ability to interpret a dream 
saved his life. Not only did it save his life, it saved the life of his friends, and it also saved the life of his enemies. So how did Daniel do it? How did Daniel do it? Now, whenever I looked at ministries that, that, that work on biblical dream interpretation, the two that I respect, if you want to know, I'll tell you later, but the two ministries that I respect that go into dream interpretation, they say, in order for you to interpret a dream, you have to be a person of character. You have to have an individual character that is strong, that is not selfish, that is uh, not self-seeking. You have to be able to know where it comes from, that you give praise to God. This isn't to make you look better. But we see that in the Bible. God gives dreams to believers and non-believers. Just because God's speaking to you in a dream doesn't make you, like, special. Does that make sense? You don't have, like, some super spiritual superpower just because God's speaking to you in a dream. He did it with Pilate's wife. He can do it with you. So don't think that you're special because you're receiving dreams from God. Anybody can get it. So um, uh, what Daniel does is that he is able to interpret his dream well because he's a man of character. And we're going to look at four issues of why he is a strong man of character. Okay, the first thing that he does, if you want to write this down, please do, is that he learned the secret to praise Daniel is an exile. He is a slave. He has been ripped out of his country of origin. He is a, he's of nobility. He was an educated young man, a good-looking young man. He had everything going for him, and he gets ripped out of his country where he had influence and power, and he's placed into a foreign land where he has to become a slave. And he's learned the secret to praise in every circumstance. So that's the one, first thing he's able to do. Is he's, he's able to praise. Second thing that Daniel does is he's learned the secret to be in the world but not of the world. Third thing that he does is he understands God's timing, he knows when to move and when to act, when to open his mouth, and when to be quiet. He understands God's timing. And then the fourth thing that he does is he never compromises. He never compromises. Okay, so we're going to see those four traits uh, in the scripture that we're going to read. Chapter 2, verse 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled. He could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have a dream. I had a dream that troubles me, and I want, you to, know what it, and I want to know what it means. The astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants, the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will cut you into pieces, and your house will be turned into a pile of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, 
you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell the dream, tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Okay, we're going to skip over to verse 10 now. The astrologers answered the king, There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of magicians or enchanters or astrologers. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they don't live among men. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to, be put, to put the wise men to death, and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends. All right, Daniel, at this point, is a wise man. He is one of... All right, this might make your skin crawl. Um... Daniel, this is point two, Daniel was in the world, but he was not of the world. If you continue reading, you will see that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they spent three years, three years in university. You know, University of Babylon. And what did they learn? They learned how to be magicians, astrologers, Soothsayers, that was their trade. Daniel went to Hogwarts School of Magic and Sorcery. <laughs> this is why they don't let me teach Sunday school anymore. <laughs> they were in the world, but not of the world. How do they do it? How do we do it? It's a very difficult question to ask. Now, did Daniel do all these crazy magic tricks? I don't think so, because clearly they don't work. And this is, what, this is why Nebuchadnezzar, the king, is so frustrated, because he knows it doesn't work either. He knows that these magic tricks and these parlor tricks don't really work, and he's calling these guys on it too. He says, look, if this magic is real, then you're going to know what I dreamed, and you're going to be able to interpret it. And if you don't, I'm going to kill you all because you're useless to me if your magic doesn't work. So Daniel and the boys, they were probably trained up in all of these things. They, were, they probably got straight A's. Did they practice it? Of course they didn't. It didn't work. Another interesting thing about being in the world but not of the world is that Daniel has another name, Belshazzar. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those aren't good little Hebrew names. Those are Babylonian names. And so they took on those names. They took on those meanings. And I'm sure they were having this conversation. Is, this, is what we're doing right? Should we really be going to university? Should we really be taking on Babylonian names? And I'm going to tell you something. You know, when you read this story you know, in Sunday school, it was, and it's true, I'm not saying it's not true, but it was framed that they stood up against their culture, that they were uncompromising. Yes, absolutely true. We see it from our historical pre uh, uh, perspective that they did not compromise, and they didn't. 
But I'm going to tell you something. There was another group of Jews on the other side of the Euphrates, the ones that were not uh, educated and smart, the ones that got dragged into other slavery. They were trying to preserve the culture and the cult of the Israel people. And they were looking at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. And you know what they were saying? They were saying they sold out. They sold out. They're, they're Uncle Tom's. They've compromised their values. They, they went to university, and now they're, now they're going to be corrupted. That's what was being told. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, who is in Israel, he understands what's going on. He actually writes them a letter, and this is amazing. You know what he says in the letter? He says, look, Mary, take part of the culture. Make your city better. Babylon, you make that city better. Because here's the thing, people of Israel, I put you there. This is my idea. I put you there. You are to be in the world, not of the world. This is my idea. This is my design. You are to do ministry in that culture. And we have to ask ourselves the same questions. And we do. If you are not asking the same question that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego asked, well, then there's two things that are going There could be one of two things that are going on. One, that you have completely assimilated into our culture, where you've adopted all of the values of this world and everything that it has to offer, and you've completely turned your back on God. Or the other option is you have completely cloistered yourselves, where you've built up walls. It's like as if we, it's like we walled off our campus and we didn't let anybody in unless they were believers. We're going to send, this is, I don't have an opinion, I, have, I mean, I think this is great, but it's like, we can't send our kids to secular schools. They have to go to private Christian schools. We are cloistering. We are, we are bent on preserving our cult, our culture. That's not what God is telling us to do in this story of Daniel. It's just not. Somehow, the guys are sitting around. It's like, okay, well, do we go to university? Discernment, God, is this, is this what we ought to do? Or should we just die? Should we, just, should we rebel and die? I believe God says, I want you guys to go to university. You're the smartest kids on the block. You need to be there. You need to be an influence in that university system. And I, I, I have... In my active imagination, I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were like the three class clowns that were smarter than the professor. Do you know these kids? Remember the kids that were smarter than the professor? And they were always mocking him behind their back. And, you know, that's how I, that's how I see them. It's because they're, they're rebels, right? They were rebels. What about the name? Should we take on Babylonian names? Eh, it's semantics, right? Tomato, tomato. Is it really a big deal that we have different names? Ah. That's interesting, huh? So those things, it was negotiable for them. And their character proved that they could handle it. 
their character. These kids were strong enough that they could actually go into that university system, and when their mettle was tested, they proved themselves strong. Can we say that about ourselves? Can we say that about our kids? You see, the best thing for the children of Israel was to be in Babylon, not to be cloistered in Israel. Interesting, huh? This was God's idea. This was God's design. All right. How much time do I have? Oh, I'm doing okay. You guys aren't hungry yet, are you? <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm going to skip over to... Verse 19. This is where, okay, so right now, King Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to kill all you guys because you guys are useless. Your magic is parlor tricks. It doesn't work. If it doesn't work, you guys are wasting my air. I'm killing you. And so Daniel's like, oh, well, I might as well give it a shot, right? (laughs) So he actually puts himself out there. He takes a risk. He actually gains the favor of people, and he gets an audience with the king, He says, I can interpret the dream. I mean, I'm dead either way, so I might as well take a shot at it. I I mean, no. He had confidence. He knew that he could do it because he was a a person of character. And so this is, again, this is where he begins to interpret the dream, the next part in verse 19. All right. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Okay, then Daniel praised the God of heaven, and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells within him. I thank and praise you, O God. Of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what you asked of you, what has asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. See? He has this thankful heart. He's able to give God praise. Verse 21, then Daniel went to Arioch, who was appointed the king as the executioner, and said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Why is that important? Well, you know who these wise men are? These are the other fortune tellers and the other magicians and the other soothsayers. He says, don't kill them. He actually has compassion for his enemies. And if you keep on reading, these are the guys that are going to throw him in with the lions. He could have killed them. He took a risk, and he saved his enemies. Interesting. Take me to the king. I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king, and at once... Uh, okay, I'm going to skip down to 29. Here we go. Verse 29. Daniel says to the king, As you were lying there, O king, your mind turned to things to come. As... The revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than any other living men, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Verse 
You looked, O king, and there before you stood a statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. The iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken into pieces at the same time and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. I'm going to skip to verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering of incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. All right, so what's going on? So Daniel gets it. He, God gave Daniel the same dream that God gave Nebuchadnezzar. And, okay, that's impressive enough, but the part that I didn't read is that Daniel interprets it. And there's something that you need to know about this dream, about this dazzling, gorgeous statue of multiple elements. There's something you need to know about the dream. The dream serves two purposes. The dream is about Nebuchadnezzar, but the dream is also prophetic and apocalyptic in nature. It tells the future. And this is what the future says. Uh, If you continue reading, and I suggest that you do, uh, it tells what's going to happen in the ancient history, in ancient history future. He says, okay, Nebuchadnezzar, that gold head, that's Babylon. Actually, it's you. It's your head. This is you. The next part down, the silver chest, That's the Mede-Persian Empire, and it's going to replace the Babylonian Empire someday. Someday soon, actually. The next part down is the the skirt around the waist, which is made of bronze. He says that is going to represent the very foundations of Western civilization. That is the Greek Empire, the Greek world. Then he goes into some little details about the Greek world. He says that someday... Amongst the Greeks, a young warrior is going to rise up and he's going to conquer the world. That's Alexander the Great. He was of the Greeks. And then the next thing down are two iron legs. And that symbolizes Rome. It could symbolize the Republic under the voting system of the, of the, of the Roman Republic. And it also can represent The second leg could be the empire under the dictators. And then the very feet of it is a a mixture of clay and iron. 
higher criticism has seen this prophetic word in Daniel, and they, they have to say, this is way too detailed. This was written after the fact. This was written in the first century because it even makes reference to Jesus. I don't know if you caught it, but it's in there. It's not true. This, this prophecy is so accurate. If you are a history nerd, if you like Greek and Roman history, you've got to read the whole book. Okay, just all the weird imagery, just get that out of your head. It's all very symbolic of, 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 a, of a, the, the history that's going to be outpouring in the not too distant future after Nebuchadnezzar dies. Why is it important? Why is it important? Because Nebuchadnezzar's strategy on conquering was unique. The ancient world used to go in and they would just... They would come into a city, they would kill, still, and destroy. They'd burn the place to the ground. They'd take everybody as slaves. Just wholesale slaughter, take everybody as slaves, steal all the gold out of the cities, and that was it. But Nebuchadnezzar had a different vision. His vision was to go in to a country and do a little shock and awe, okay? So they would, they would destroy some things. But their, their strategy was to take the smartest and the brightest and to steal them and to take them home and to incorporate them into their culture. They wanted to dominate and control the whole world. And the way that they figured out how they could do it, they figured out they could do it is if people were able to maintain their values and their religion. That's what was going on with Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were able to maintain their religion in a pagan society. And this idea that was formulated in Nebuchadnezzar's head, because Daniel says, look, you're the head. This was your idea. It got filtered down to every single civilization and culture, including ours today. We are the clay and we are the metal. The, the Mede-Persian Empire did it. They brought in all these different religions. They say, okay, you can have your religion, but you've got to pay your taxes, right? The Greeks did it. Okay, we are going to share ideas. We're going to share our Western civilization. I want to learn more about Eastern civilization. If you look at, if you look at uh, statues of Buddha in Tibet, they're wearing a Greek toga, thanks to Alexander the Great and his incredible vision to conquer and control and to assimilate. And he knew that he had to accept all religions to do it. Romans did the same exact thing, the big giant machine that controlled and destroyed, and it was, it was just an amazing uh, system, did the same thing. You can have your religion. In fact, we're going to make you a puppet king. You're paying your taxes. We, we have control over you. This, was all, this all came from his head. This was his idea. The very fact that we have a bumper sticker that says coexist, that came from Nebuchadnezzar's golden idea and his golden head for control of people. This is where the uncompromising character of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego come into play. See, Nebuchadnezzar gets it, right? See, 
The two-prong attack, or the two, the, the two purposes of the, of the dream is, one, it's prophetic. It's going to tell you about the future. But it's also about Nebuchadnezzar. This is about him personally. And, what, and this is why he was freaking out. Because he had some type of an understanding that that statue is me. I got this really killer golden idea in my head, but that statue is about me. And what's the problem with the image? It's weak feet. The whole thing collapses. The whole thing falls. Falls apart. And so Nebuchadnezzar gets it. He, we, we read it. He actually gives God glory. He knows that Daniel interpreted the dream from God. He gets it. He praises God. Chapter 3, he's back to his old ways. Chapter 3 is, is the story of Daniel, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the, the fiery furnace. You guys know the story. The very next chapter, he just like forgets it. Have you ever forgot about how good God was and he went back to doing something dumb? Come on, raise your hand. You all did it. Like you, God just was awesome. You're like, oh God, you're awesome. And then you, you just did something really dumb like the next day. Well, that's what Nebuchadnezzar does. And he, he builds this gorgeous golden statue in, in the plain of Dora. Dora, 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 the explorer. Uh, she just hate me for that. I have a seven-year-old. We're getting beyond Dora now. We're getting into My Little Pony. Um, I know. Equestria girls. Yeah. <laughs> so he builds this statue, and here's, this is the scene. He's got the nations there. He's got all these people that he's conquered, including Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the good little Jewish boys. He's got them. He's got, he's got some Egyptians. He's got some Assyrians. He's got, some, he's got people from all over the known world. They're all represented. All of their gods are there. And did you notice that the well, if we didn't read it, but if you continue to read it, it's like you need to give honor to the gold statue, not the God. The God, the gold statue is representing all of the gods. It's like Nebuchadnezzar was the first Unitarian. Nebuchadnezzar was, was the first to promote the Baha'i faith. I'm getting, I'm getting myself in trouble. So. This is why three brave young men when their metal was tested, they were able to live in the world but not of the world. They said, no, we're not doing it. There's only one truth. There's only one way. And we're not bowing down. We are not going to compromise on this issue. And we're, we're willing to die. We believe God is going to protect us in that furnace. But you know what? Even if he doesn't, this is still the right thing to do. It is still the right thing to do not to compromise on our values. We're willing to burn up. Send us in. So Nebuchadnezzar has to learn another lesson, right? What brought the statue down? What crumbled it? We have a lot of really valuable elements. Gold, silver, iron, bronze, even clay is more valuable than the rock that destroyed it and brought it all down. What is that rock? The rock, I don't know if you, I don't know if you caught it, but the rock was made without human hands. 
It, was, it said it was carved, but not by human hands. And the rock is this living organism almost because it comes in out of the sky and it shatters the feet of this idol, which, which, which purpose is to control. It shatters that, the feet of that. And then it, it expands into a mountain. It becomes the new kingdom. The rock symbolizes Jesus and his kingdom, his kingdom that will last forever. We don't have the, the Babylonian Empire anymore. We don't have the Greek Empire anymore. We don't have the Roman Empire anymore. His kingdom will last into eternity. That is what this is saying. This is a prophetic word of God to what we are experiencing right here and right now. And I want you to think about Nebuchadnezzar as an individual and why he was so freaked out. Because he had a revelation that his, his idea was brilliant, right? It's a pretty good idea. Let me get everybody in the same room. Let me give them what they want. Let me make them all happy so that I can control them and get their taxes. Great idea. Stellar idea. Let's coexist. Let's, let's, uh, let's, let's compromise on our values. It's a great idea. It worked. still does. The foundation of it is not built and based on truth. His foundation was built and based on control. And when he got the premonition, when he got the revelation that he was going to lose control, that is what drove him mad. That is what tormented him at night. That is what made him an an unhappy camper when he woke up in the morning, wanting to kill all of his guys. Because he was freaking out because what he based everything on was fragile, was breakable. Now we have to ask ourselves the same thing. Prophecy aside, the big shiny golden statue, that's him. Are, Are we... Trying to build a big giant golden statue for ourselves? Well, what is our what is our life based on? Does the stock market keep you up at night? Guess what your life is based on? It's based on money. Does uh, Facebook likes does that keep you up at night? Are you obsessed about how many people like you? Well, your foundation is based on on popularity and not on Jesus. And as, as a believer, as an individual with character and insight and the, the ability to de- interpret a dream, the, the ability to discern what is right and what is wrong, the ability to see into Nebuchadnezzar's life, Daniel is placed in a very interesting situation to say, look, there's the problem right there. Your life is not based on the goodness of God. Your life is based on control. And, and for us, to be able to catch God's dream, to be able to dream with God, for God to put dreams into our hearts, we have the honor, the ability to interpret dreams for other people. You can walk in to, I want, you to, I want to encourage you to try this. You can walk into your, your environment, your workplace, your school, whatever it might be, and you know you've got those people in your life that don't believe in God, that have not surrendered to the authority of Jesus. Maybe they're still dating Jesus. They haven't decided to marry him yet. 
And God will give you the, the ability to interpret their life. You look in their eyes, you look into their heart, and God will give you the ability to interpret their life. And you will see the clay that they've built their life upon. And you just say, look, honey, you can't build your life on an image. Honey, you can't build your life on wanting to be accepted. Son, you can't build your life on building an empire or acquiring wealth. You're not going to be able to sleep at night. There's only one solid foundation. That's Jesus. That's the only thing, that's the only rock worth building your house upon. It's a great story, huh? Once you look at it that way. Like once you get all the weird stuff out of it. It's a great story, huh? All right, let me get the band and the ushers come to the front. Let's pray. God, right now, I just pray that you would just speak to our hearts. I pray that as us as believers, that... Um, that you, that you will minister to us. You will show us areas in our life where maybe we've compromised. You will show us areas in our life where we decided not to ask the tough questions, where, we, where it's just easier to cloister than to be challenged. That you will reveal things to us that, uh, where we've been weak in character. God, I pray that you will show us this very difficult secret to be in the world, but not of the world. But God, most importantly, God, I pray that we will be able to not only interpret night dreams, but we will also be able to interpret what's going on in other people's lives so that we can minister to them properly, where we can love them well, where we can invite them to understand the stability, the strength, the fortitude of building your life upon the rock. That rock that destroys all kingdoms, all principalities. Give us the ability to interpret dreams well. Bless this offering, God. I pray that it would advance your kingdom. Amen.